Good evening, world. This is the podcast, Has to Fast, and your host, S. Laura Cattell. Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back. We are going over the Miracle Club from Mitch Horowitz. And we finished off Chapter 7 last time. We've made it all the way to Chapter 8. And I don't know if it's just me, but these chapters seem awfully short. Maybe that's just me? I'm not sure. Let me see. How many chapters are there? Gets to chapter 11? I'm pretty sure there's chapter 12. So, apparently the next few chapters are actually a lot thicker than their previous ones. Okay, so yesterday was basically the last half of chapter 7 was a challenge for Mr. Horowitz. Um, encompassing nine months of basically dedicated focus using a preferred sacred book or ethical ethical book as um, as your baseline, right? Take one book to live by and just throw yourself at its principles for nine months just to see how your life will turn out if you do. Why nine months? Because nine months is the gestation period for an, uh, for an average human being. That's why. So basically you're gestating a new life, as it were. So you can do it, you cannot do it, you can just do a truncated version of it. However, I would, uh, an aside, if you are going to do something like that, the whole point is to do it with passion. You are supposed to get after it, like it was the, like somebody had offered you the best job in the world, you had nine months to prepare for it, and you get paid like the most ridiculous sum of money if you were done, you need to go after it like... It's the best thing in the world. Like, you can't imagine anything else. So if you're not prepared to go after something like that, then I would advise you not to. But it would be an interesting end result to see just how much your life would change should you follow such a stricter regimen, a more detailed and rule-driven approach to life. Certainly, how you approach life itself would change. It'd be interesting to see, though. That's, um, something I wouldn't mind doing on my own after I get moved and everything. So, that finished off Chapter 7, and we are now on Chapter 8, The Ethic of Getting Rich. Probably so titled, and I haven't even gotten into the chapter yet, but probably so titled because there seems to be, within the culture... That if you're rich, you're not spiritual. If you're spiritual, you're not rich. So a lot of times people think it's not spiritual to get rich. Or you're scamming someone. Or you're denying someone. Or you're thieving. Or some other way of lying to get what you want. So a lot of times there's a big disconnect between getting rich and being spiritual. Which there shouldn't be. There's... An entire body of movement out there right now trying to counter that. You can very much be spiritual and still be wealthy. Generally, when well, uh, spiritual people are wealthy, they tend to do really awesome things with their wealth. They go out and they help people. They go build schools and they run, uh, run missionary uh, supplies. And they provide water to places. And they do youth camps and babysitting and all sorts of You know, awesome things like, hey, I've got all this money. What the heck am I going to do with it? I don't know. I'm going to go help people. 
Okay? So, before we got any farther into the actual chapter itself. And that is what we were doing today. So, before I go any farther, my shout out to the restaurant industry. All my guys and gals out there in Foodland. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you're still going through. Thank you for showing up for work today. Thank you for showing up for work the last year and a half. And if you are feeling stressed and overwhelmed and you can't take it anymore, please take a walk, take a shower, take a bath, take a smoke. Do something, but please don't do something you can't take back. Please don't quit. Don't quit. Okay. So the ethic of getting rich. There is a conflict in early 21st century new thought. Some seekers want a new thought that emphasizes personal attainment and ambition. Others believe that new thought's focus should be on social justice. They view the think and grow rich approach as narrow, unspiritual, or outdated. The 1910 classic, The Science of Getting Rich, by mind power pioneer and social activist Wallace D. Waddles, 1860-1911, points the way out of this conflict. Waddles' message is distinctly relevant for a contemporary New Thought culture that is divided between social justice and personal achievement. The author and progressive era reformer demonstrated how these two priorities are really one. A socialist, a Quaker, and an early theorist of mind-positive metaphysics, Waddles taught that the true aim of enrichment is not accumulation of personal resources alone, but also the establishment of a more equitable world, one of shared abundance and possibility. He believed that combining mind-power mechanics with an ardent dedication to self-improvement, while rejecting a narrowly competitive me-first ethos, makes you part of an interlinking chain that leads to a more prosperous dynamic for everyone. So, right off the gate, we've got a definite distinction between Mr. Dooley's and Mr. Mitch's, or Mr. Horowitz's, um, directions. Which, I don't know. It's definitely more personal approach, however you like to approach it. I like Mr. Dooley's approach much better. Not because it glosses over personal achievement, but because it offers a much more ethical reason for personal attainment. It's not always just for being selfish. Sometimes being selfish is good. Because if every as um it's a more directed thought process to Mother Teresa's quote Everyone is going through a battle. If you really want to help the world, help the person sitting next to you. If everyone did that, nobody would need help. Right? That's the whole community... Excuse me. Whole community idea. So Mr. Dooley takes that and refines it a little bit more. And sits there and says, it's okay to be selfish. Because when you're working on your own happiness, your immediate surrounding... Right? Your co-workers, your friends, your family, 
all benefit because you're working on your happiness so therefore your happiness then goes out and aids and um, adds to their happiness then their happiness increases and so on and so forth and it snowballs so that being said caveat I would add that usually and I, I say usually because there are some people that are just really weird out there usually when people go at their own personal um, passions it ends up becoming that you help other people in the process however I would say to that you must link it to helping other people presents a form of baggage on the act itself personally I think it should be a free and clear decision sometimes it's okay to do something selfish for yourself show yourself some self-love there's nothing wrong with that so if that's where the rest of this particular chapter is going take it with a grain of salt we'll see where it goes continuing Waddle's slender guidebook the science of getting rich remained obscure in mainstream culture until about 2007 around that time the science of getting rich became known as a key source be behind Rhonda Burns' The Secret. The century-old book began hitting bestseller lists. I published a paperback edition myself that hit number one on the Bloomberg Business List. Excuse me, Bloomberg Business Week list. My 2016 audio condensation reached number two on iTunes. What many of Waddles' 21st century readers miss, however, is his dedication to the ethic of cooperative advancement above competition and his belief that competition itself is an outmoded idea due to be supplanted once humanity discovers the ever-renewing creative capacities of the mind. As none but the most perceptive readers could detect, Waddles combined his mind metaphysics with a dollop of Marxist language. His outlook was idealistic, perhaps extravagant, but he attempted to live up to it. Live up to it, excuse me. So, right there, I don't... Mm -mm. I don't appreciate that at all. So, that one is uh, a very much diversion from myself and what Mitch is putting forth in this book here. Um, simply because competition, psychologically, um, we are competitive creatures. We have not reached a, sta a stage yet where our... How do I put this? Our wants for our fellow man exceed our wants for ourselves and that's not exactly a bad thing okay wants for yourselves includes putting a roof over your head putting clothes on you know making sure you have enough food to eat making sure uh, your kids go to a decent school or school at all get an education you know you have a job that you make a decent paycheck at those are wants a car that runs you know reliable transportation those are personal wants okay 
competition allows us and drives us to create better than what we had. So, I'm going to diverge completely from this. Marxist ideologies have been quite the downfall of many a civilization, and I don't agree with them at all. So, the person itself, yay, what he put forth, obviously open to interpretation. Obviously, many people have interpreted it in many different ways because Rhonda Byrne used it to great success when she put forth The Secret and um, The Law of Attraction became a worldwide phenomenon. So, for the rest of this, take it with a grain of salt. A one-time Methodist minister, Waddles lost his northern Indiana pulpit when he refused collection basket offerings from congregants who owned sweatshops. He twice ran for office on the ticket of fellow Hoosier Eugene V. Debs Socialist Party, first for Congress and again as a close second for mayor of Elwood, Indiana. At the time of his death in 1911, him and his daughter Florence, 1888-1947, a powerful socialist orator in her own right and later the publicity director, at publisher E.P. Dutton, relaying the groundwork for a new mayoral run, cut short when he died of tuberculosis at age 50 while traveling to Tennessee. Florence wrote to Eugene Debs' brother, Theodore, on January 30th, 1935. Addressing him as Dear Comrade, she lovingly recalled her father as a remarkable personality with a beautiful spirit, which to me, at least, has never died. Was Waddle's vision of New Thought metaphysics and social reform really so utopian? We live in an age at which he would have marveled, yet also recognized physicians perform successful placebo surgeries and demonstrate the placebo response in weight loss, eyesight, and even in instances where placebos are transparently administered. In the field called neuroplasticity, brain scans reveal that neural pathways are rewired by thought patterns. A biologic... And that was my cat knocking something over. My apologies, where was I? Let's go find it. Alright. Brain scans reveal that neural pathways are rewired by thought patterns. A biologic fact of mind over matter. Quantum physics experiments, as will later be seen, pose extraordinary questions about the intersection between thought and object. And serious ESP experiments repeatedly demonstrate that non-physical conveyance of information in laboratory settings. Waddle's mission, now more than a century old, was to ask whether these abilities only hinted at in the science of his day, could be personally applied and tested on the material and social scales of life. He did not live to see the influence of his book, but his calm certainty and confident yet gentle tone suggest that he felt assured of his ideas. Like every sound thinker, Waddles left us not with a doctrine 
but with articles of experimentation. The finest thing you can do to honor the memory of this good man, and to advance your own path in life, is to heed his advice. Go and experiment with the capacities of life. Excuse me. Go and experiment with the capacities of your mind. Go and try. And if you experience results, do as he did. Tell the people. So, I'm at a loss here. So Waddles was trying to get at that from the aspect of he didn't want people to have to do the whole struggle for survival thing anymore. He, his was a pursuit of a more harmonious world, and he thought this was one way of getting at it. I'm going to go back to the realities of the person as Mr. Dooley illustrated in his book. Is that, and honestly, you've seen it a lot of times in your own life. Alright. Spoiled children grow up to be insufferable adults. How does a child get spoiled? They never encounter rejection, they never encounter obstacle, they never encounter any form of struggle they're given every single thing, and they don't, they haven't had to work for, and subsequently they don't value, a thing. Overcoming adversity is a necessity. It is not a byproduct, it is not an obstacle to be eliminated completely from society. It is a necessity. Because value is built into the end result of overcoming every single piece of adversity you've ever been through. Because the things you attain afterwards become more valuable as a result. Because of how much it took to attain it. So I'm going to argue against this little paragraph. Although I can understand where Waddles is going with. But I'm going to respectfully disagree. Simply because of basic human psychology. Um... We haven't gotten to the stage yet, and I don't really think we will this century or even next century, but we'll see. We have not gotten to a sufficient enough stage where that's enough of a driving factor for us to serenely interact with each other. We still need our own personal advancement, or our motivation just falls off a cliff. It really just does. All right, we have to be able to have some agency to direct our lives as we see fit. So, that aside, I'm, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Let's do we want to. Oh wow! So basically, chapter eight is all about Mr. Waddles. So we'll leave off there then, and we'll come back and finish off chapter eight uh, tomorrow, where we continue with. Um, where is he going? So, we will come back tomorrow where we examine Mr. Waddle's approach, ideas, 
and we'll go off in a direction of new thought and we'll talk more about that then. So I've explained myself, although I will go back and say, um, I would consider it more in our current culture that it's more of a thing to be considered taboo. Like how did, if you're really spiritual, how did you get rich? Well, we get rich because we go out and we spread this message to other people talking about what we do, or not what we do, but basically better ways to get along with each other, to spread more peace, to better understand our interconnectedness and how we can get along with each other without devolving into arguments and insults and offense and wars and all this other crap. But a lot of times, I feel like it really just skips over adversity. A lot of this stuff. A lot of the current things going on out there is, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't have to do this by this stage in our lives. No, that's wrong. Okay. Those are obstacles to be overcome. Not because... There, it's just there to prevent you from ever advancing in life. The obstacles are there to challenge you to get to a point inside, internally, your mental and your external... Hold on a second. Sorry. Uh, it's to get to a point in your internal and your external viewpoints, your perspectives, your uh, determination, your motivation, your uh, innovation, right? How willing are you to go after and get that? And if you're not, you're going to settle for whatever the lowest bottom dollar is. And I've used this example plenty of times is a lot of people say they want the million dollars, you know, yearly salary. But are you willing to become the person necessary that you need to become in order to earn the million dollars? Are you going to go out and learn a new skill? Are you going to go learn finance? Are you going to go learn, you know, how to be a CEO? Are you going to learn how to build a business? Are you going to bother? Or do you just want a million dollars to magically fall in your lap? Be honest. Because the person who earns a million dollars a year or more does a lot more with themselves personally. They read more books, they take more classes, they improve themselves more and continuously and consistently. Okay. Adversity is necessary. All these things in life that people right now consider that they should be free, absolutely not. Would you appreciate somebody walking up and demanding your time for however long when you've got other things to do? Or their services? Or some your services? What if, let's say you're a doctor and you're, you know... No, I take that back. Let's say you're a contractor. You make really awesome houses. Someone walks up to you and demands a new house, free of charge. Are you just going to hand it over? Is that going to pay the contractors that you need to pay? The plumber, the electrician, the wiring guy? Um, the wiring guy? Yeah, I'm just... Uh, yeah, electrician. Uh, you know, is that going to pay for the lumber? Is that going to pay for the materials? Is that going to pay for the concrete? Is it going to pay for the land that it goes on? 
okay? It's a lot more complex than people like to make it seem like it is. Because if you wouldn't want to be deprived of your time and not get paid for your services, your effort, your materials, what have you, then why should you be able to deprive somebody else of theirs? And that's the crux of the argument right there. Alright. It's a big, massive, messy system. And we're all just doing the best that we can. So, I'm going to leave it there tonight. So go ahead and do a little wheel. Get in a little stretch and we will do our two minute brain break. close your eyes and let's take a nice slow deep breath in and let it back out Let's take another nice, slow, deep breath in. And let it back out. Just let your awareness settle into the space. And for today, just get lost in the music.
open your eyes. Alright, you guys. Well, that certainly took an interesting turn that I wasn't expecting to find. Things to ponder. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. This is the podcast Sassafras. Good night.